Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Pond Scum Ocean, and it's from the album Course in Fable, and that is by Riley Walker, who also is my guest today. Because if you follow the show, you know that I open it up the same way every time. <laughs> it's uh, pretty obvious that uh, the song playing is associated with whoever the guest is. Only once since I've been doing all music, has it not been associated? I was, uh, that weird pause there was because I was, um, uh, I was suppressing a belch. But I, sometimes when I do these intros, it takes me a few times to get going and get it right. And I just didn't want to start over again. So enjoy the weird pause. And no, I didn't belch loudly into the microphone. And sorry if this is a weird conversation I'm having suddenly. Anyway, um, if you don't know Riley Walker and you liked that chunk of music I played, in the show notes you could find all the links to him and you could purchase more of his music. Uh, this is a really great conversation. Uh, this is probably the fifth or sixth time I've had somebody on who's from the Chicago world, as which I am from, so that often causes us to uh, go into Chicago talk. Usually bars <laughs> seems to be one of the common Chicago um and if you've never been to Chicago and you're going, message me, and I will. Uh, I have a whole list of things I put together for people visiting Chicago, from dive bars to old man food joints to where to see music and theater and comedy, and it's a long. So you can message me at conversationswithdwyer at gmail.com, or you could just write to me and say, hey, how you doing? Uh, or you could go to themattdwyer.com, and that is uh, a landing point for all things like my social media, which my Instagram is a great way to know who have past guests been, new guests coming up. I post a lot of stuff there. And if you like Riley Walker, I've had a lot of other musicians on in sort of his genre or otherwise or not. Um, and often, and if if you really like the show or if you like really want to, you don't want to listen to me and Riley, you could... Uh, become a Patreon subscriber and you can watch the video of us talking our very handsome Midwestern faces from the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Patreon subscribers, get there's I, I do a podcast that solely lives on Patreon where I talk to comedians about music. Um, there's always bonus footage, videos. Uh, sometimes the interviews are two parts, so a lot of times the two-part, part two, Live solely on, like I interviewed Kid Congo, the legendary Kid Congo, a while ago, and that was a two-hour conversation. Both hours live on there. That's just the way that goes. That's just the way. It, so you could become a, and if you can't become a Patreon subscriber, you could always just tell your friends about the show. Um, and please, as I said, check out my library. I have had like Steve Gunn. I would consider Steve Gunn a guy who is in the same vein as Riley Walker. He's been on the show. Wayne Coyne from from. The Flaming Lips, Lee well, uh, Wellbaum, Lou Barlow from Dinosaur Jr. and Sebado is coming up. So there's so many great episodes to choose from and live and just roll around them in the internet of your mind. I don't know what any of that means. Uh, but anyway, that's enough of my babbling. This is a really great conversation. I think this might be the first episode uh, that will be... Oh, it doesn't matter. Just listen to it and you'll learn something about me. I reveal something about myself. I, I don't usually talk about myself in the podcast. So anyway, enjoy that. Enjoy this, my conversation with Riley Walker. 
thought it was really cool that you tweeted to Pitchfork, uh, what was that, last week about how they should unionize, and you, I, I just, that said a lot to me about you. I mean, there's plenty of examples in my life where I don't, like, act selflessly or whatever, but, yeah, fucking, I don't know, pay people who write shit, and uh, <laughs> I hate big companies. I don't know if that gives me the moral high ground on life in general, but you know, it's a small fight, but I'm happy to be part of it. <laughs> I just, you, I, I wish there would have been, maybe there were, and I didn't, I don't follow them on Twitter, but if I just feel like if more musicians would come forth and say something about that, maybe that would help out because that's just, I, once I started researching that situation, it, I was just like, wow, this is, this is bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people got a lot to lose. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's like, it's weird, you know, like, I, mean, I don't give a fuck. I, I mean, uh, uh, the music business, like, you know, everybody does favorites for each other and stuff. So to, like, shit on a big corporation or people who book festivals or whatever, it's, you know, they see that as loss of income. And it's like, well, I don't fucking have any income, so I'll babble as much as I want, you know? Pretty cool position to be in, you know. But I mean, you're a highly respected and present musician. I would, at least from my opinion, like, do you sell yourself short in that regard? Do you think? Um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't have a regular job, and I've managed to like kind of carve out a meager living. And that to me is like such a great reward to be able to just focus on music. And, um, that was, that, that was, that didn't come for free. You know, people spent money on that stuff and invested their time and money into it. So like, I I guess that's like a form of mutual respect. I try to give that back. Um, as far as like, do tons of people like my music and am I like, well, no, no, not at all. I'm like pretty, willfully obscure in the greater scheme of things and I'm, I'm fine with it. do you feel like that's changing at all i mean i feel like your press is all everything i've read about you is positive and it seems like it's building or, or do you not even think about that um well yeah of course i like think about it and i see it and i read it and like i take everything personally if it's wrong or bad i <laughs> 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 uh, i like I, I think some of it might have been like money in the beginning. I got like a, a nice, a big record label at the beginning and they spent a lot of money on kind of getting my name out there. So it wasn't all organic necessarily. Like there's like marketing that went towards it. And I guess I'm still kind of coasting on that. I, I'm on my own label now and stuff. And I have no like ill will towards any label I've ever been on, but I'm really happy to be independent or whatever. Um, and I'm still friends with all those people. But, you know, there was, like, obviously, like, marketing and stuff that, like, built that. And I'm kind of just, like, riding on the fumes of that. Um, so that that was, like, a big end of the industry. And I had, like, friends who ran labels and stuff. You know, I wasn't, like, this obscure person who totally, like, um, earned everything I have. There was, like, side door shit, you know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but, like, I got lucky in a lot of instances. And I'm still kind of, like riding on a lot of that luck and people are still sticking around. So hopefully that means like the records aren't too shitty. (laughs) This, I don't know. I'm from the Midwest as well. And you're from Rockford, Illinois. Yes. I know Rockford. I've been there. And Natasha Leggero is, I'm from Streamwood. Is that off 290? It's off to 9094 near Schaumburg. We Schomburg's more affluent than my town. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Rockford's off that. I mean, I've driven by Streamwood probably ten thousand times in, because um, Rockford's off ninety ninety four, and it's funny because I lived in Chicago for years, eleven years in fact, from, um, when I was eighteen to twenty nine, thirty one now. Wait, I moved there when I was twenty. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> um, but that's always like the joke people make. Like, you're not from Chicago. You're from Schaumburg. And I've like never met anybody from Schaumburg. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously there's a population there, but that's always the joke. Like I remember, I remember when I first moved to Chicago, I was like drinking a beer on the street somewhere and a cop came up 
He was like, hey, what the fuck are you doing with that beer and all that? And he's like, are you guys even from Chicago or are you from Schaumburg? And I'm like, nobody's from Schaumburg, man. People go there to go to, go to the mall. Like, I wonder. And it's like, I've never, like, seen it as affluent. I've just seen it as a place that has a fucking mall. I just... But maybe it's, I, don't, I don't know much about Schaumburg. I know Maggiano's is there and... <laughs> Trash from Rockford goes there before prom to be like, we really like went to a fancy dinner. It's like, dude, you went to like Chili's. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, we were like super poor, so Schomburg had money in comparison. I mean, it probably yeah. isn't money, but we had that working class chip on our shoulder where anybody with like a two story house was fucking rich. Right. Um, Rockford's kind of the same, I guess. There's a lot of like poverty and lower middle class there and on the outskirts there's maybe like some money and it's not like because i always thought rich people and i mean i guess it's all relative like to me when i was growing up like rich kids had like a pool and a trampoline and yeah like a two-story house kind of like i'm laughing because i totally relate yeah like a two-story house out in the country or whatever and they have like a bonfire pit like to me i'm (laughs) And then I moved to New York and it's like, my dad owns that skyscraper. And shit. it's like, which people where we grew up are like, if somebody in who is New York rich had like Schomburg rich money, they jump out of a fucking window. <laughs> so, rich people were actually like white trash rich to me. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Because uh, Rockford was like a, pretty affluent like it was like a suffered the rust belt situation if i'm not mistaken yeah i mean i'm sure that's part of it um i don't know there's probably like books written on this and people know a lot more but i think yeah throughout like the mid-century there was like i mean there's still like a lot of old really nice beautiful homes they're like mid-century homes and stuff that people were building i mean it was just like a manufacturing town and i i the story goes it's like all that 80s shit and like crack epidemic shit um it's still there's like you know i can take you on a drive around town there's still some pretty rough areas but i think it's kind of rebounded i don't know i think it's a cool city i resented it so much growing up i couldn't wait to leave but um i actually like it a lot now um just because it's like 15 years behind everything there's no like hipster culture there it's just like kind of rate i don't know i really like it and i don't do drugs and drink anymore but it was like an awesome place to like go to dive bars and do drugs and stuff and things like that i wouldn't say that's its greatest quality (laughs) (laughs) you know that's what like i had fun doing there like as i got older and visited my parents and stuff (laughs) what what made you resent the town well, I mean, it's like anywhere where you grow up. Um, it's, it was boring. Um, it was pretty milk toast. Um, How did you fit in with like your the world there, like your age group? Did you fit in, or were you just kind of? I had friends and stuff. I don't think I was like immensely popular or anything, but I I I, I had like plenty of friends, and we all liked music and skateboarding. Um, we were like defiant, like in the sense of like we hated school and music and weed was cooler. Um, so I kind of, I kind of fell in with that, and I, you know, it's one of those things where you're just like, there's got to be something. I mean, as soon as I was like 13, I mean, Rockford was like this wonderful, peaceful, loving place where like all my friends were, my family were. But then I turned like 13, and I'm like, oh shit, like there's way cooler stuff that's not here. Um, you know, once I got into like movies and music and stuff, there was like obviously a greater world to explore. And I always wanted to move to Chicago since I was like a teenager. And I did eventually. Um, would you go and I visit mean, like, cause I would ditch school to go to the city. And like that to me was like, when I discovered Chicago, I felt like, okay, this is a place I belong opposed to mm-hmm. my shit town. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. I think anybody like in the northern half of Illinois might have that. Some people hate it, I guess. But Chicago, to me, when I was a kid, was like the place Michael Jordan was. I thought that was like my first impression of Chicago. It's like, well, an hour and ten minutes away is Michael Jordan. Um, but then I get older, and it's like, yeah, as soon as my friends were like 
getting driver's license it was like cool let's go see like a show at fireside bowl or go to the metro it, it, it was like it represented like independence for me i guess and i i had such a strong desire to move there and by the time i was 16 i was like i'm definitely gonna be there once i'm out of the house who are some of the shows because fireside bowl does fire does that still exist fireside bowl because that was legendary but i don't know if that's still around um not as a music venue it's like i think it's just like a straight up bowling alley and like a bar now maybe they have shows i don't know um but i i was like i i was just old enough to catch like the tail end of it i wasn't of age like in the mid 90s like punk and emo and whatever prime of it like i went like the last couple of years in like 2003 2004 when i was like 14 13 like friends older siblings would drive in to see like know, like american football or captain jack or uh joan of arc and I don't know, like Don Caballero, wow, like a lot of emo and ska bands and stuff. It, I didn't know they were all ages, or were you sneaking in? Fireside was like legendary all ages, yeah. Oh, I for some reason I never made it there, but I also was working nights, so I missed a lot of great Chicago shows, which sucked. When did you move to Chicago? I moved. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> I well, I started hanging out in the city when I was like 15 or 16, and then. I, uh, I graduated high school in 87 and I th- was stupid and egotistical enough to move to California after high school thinking I was going to make it. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a cool time to be out in California in like late eighties. Yeah. I, I mean, I was there for six months and I realized I just, I was like, what am I doing? Like I, I have no credits whatsoever. <laughs> so I came so, back and started studying, but so like 89, I was work living in like a sleeping room in, in old town. Like a, it was like a toilet, a shower, and a tiny small room, and that was it. And it was fucking great. Yeah, yeah I bet that was a lot of fun then. Um, I moved to Chicago in 07, and even I see the differences now in Chicago compared to 2007. And I have friends who are, like, older than me, maybe, like, around your age group or whatever, and they describe, like, late 80s, early 90s Chicago, like, Wrigleyville being the hood and I'm like really you know like yeah or like you know like east side lake shore sides of Chicago and I'm like because I always associate that with like money wealth and fucking frozen yogurt or whatever. <laughs> um but yeah like Wicker Park was a shit like I yeah, had fun like I lived by uh, which is now is the Hollywood Grill on North and Ashland. I lived right behind that, and like yeah. I would cut through the alley to the bus stop, and there would be like syringes and bullet shells, and like it was. Sure. But my rent was one twenty five. Yeah, see, I Chicago's. I think I haven't been there in a few years, but I visited last year, and it's already flipped so much. It's like flip. It's getting pretty like dot com and crazy. So like maybe I'm, I was eighteen in two thousand seven, and I still remember like my rent in Pilsen was like, you know, $300 for a a room. And I might be like the last generation that's like remembers Chicago as like this cheaper, um, like metropolitan area. Cause as far as I know, it's just getting more expensive and people are moving farther out towards like O'Hare or whatever. And I, I still remember like cheap rent in Chicago. I might be like the last age group to remember that before it was, Cause I think now it's like getting to be like Brooklyn prices and whatnot and LA prices or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the rent prices there fucked me up for life. Cause like, I was just like, what? Like anytime I had to pay anything more than like $600, I was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Um, I could never afford my own apartment in Chicago, but like I had friends who had jobs and stuff and like, you know, one bedroom is $800. And I think that's like slowly disappearing. It's like when people talk about Brooklyn in the nineties, like my rent was six fifty. You're like, okay, I'm gonna go talk to the next person. I've heard this a hundred times, you know. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting to be that age where like a common thing I talk about is like, I remember when rent was this, and you could, you could smoke in restaurants and. You know, like, did you have music connections when you moved to Chicago, or did you just go sort of like, um, did you, and did you move there specifically to? You're like, I'm because I read, I think it was because Tortoise, you were attracted to the band Tortoise and a few others, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, I mean, I was fans of like all those bands. Like in high school, I was like a like an indie rock music fan. I still am or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, like obviously like the cool music history is a big part, but I moved to Chicago. I didn't do well in high school at all. Um, I, I didn't get enough like credits to like really earn any sort of acolyte or, um, have any weight on college applications. So I applied, and I'm sure you know this place to a little school called Columbia College. We'll, look, we'll take any motherfucker who fills out a form and is stupid enough to sign federal student loan thing. It is, it is a con job, that school. Did you? And, I got uh, fucked that way, too. The student yeah. loan. Or it wasn't student loans. I got a grant or something, and like halfway through my semester, they're like, yeah, you don't have these, so you have to pay. And I was like, I'm in this school because of these grants, not because I can afford... Did you go to Columbia College? I did for like a half semester. I was also doing a lot of coke. Dude. Me too. Did, you, really, your attendance goes down when you're doing a lot of coke, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was fucked up. I barely went. Um, but that school is like... It's like they're total. I mean, obviously, the uh, secondary higher education or whatever is like there's kind of like dream selling and all that. But Columbia College is like, you will be on Saturday Night Live and you will hang out with Martin Scorsese if you go here. And it's like, when I went there, I include myself in this. They're like the stupidest people <laughs> I've ever met. The staff is all like, it's completely unaccredited school. The staff has no credits. The people who are like, well, I'm going to teach you how to get in the music or like film industry. And it's like, oh, cool. What have you done? They're like, oh, you know, I like hung lights on a, on a student film once. And it's like, <laughs> what the, f-? Like, you know, it's not like a UCLA program or NYU program where it's like this prestige. It's like, you're there for money and they don't have resources. And I was doing Coke anyways and a lot of drugs and I didn't care. So I quit really quick, but I went there for television writing, I wanted to be, because um, in high school I was a big fan of comedy and sketch comedy and stuff, and I didn't have any, like, I, I played music and stuff a lot, um, but that wasn't, like, my dream I wanted to cash in on, um, and I certainly didn't want to go for, like, a business degree or, like, any sort of trade, um, so I was like, I'm going to be a television writer because um, I'm a fan of Mr. Show, and, like, that was, like, and they're like, yeah, sure, come here and give us 20 grand a year, and, uh, you know, you can make some dick jokes in class, you know? Um, so that's what I went for. I went for television writing. I lasted one year there. And then by the time I was, that year had passed at college, at Columbia College, I was living in the South Loop in their student housing. And I, I just said, I ended up meeting tons of people who were like putting on house shows and um cool like underground venues because I wasn't 21 at the time I couldn't like go to the bar shows so I met like a cool network of like younger people putting on house shows and stuff and I was fascinated by that so I kind of pivoted to playing more music had you not how invested in music were you before that um just like a novice I mean I had like bands in high school but I was more into movies and tv shows um I, you know, just like novice sticking around at home. And like, I think I was always good for like my friend group, and my age group, but it, it wasn't, I was never like, I'm going to be in a band. That's my passion. Once I'm older, my passion was like, I want to write for TV shows or be like a stand up comedian or something. But you're, <laughs> but you're such a great guitar player. Like that's what's like, did you, were you already very good at guitar and it just didn't dawn on you? Or was that something that you started cultivating afterward? Um, I was all right at guitar in high school. Um, I had like bands that went, you know, like garage bands and stuff. And I think after the year in college and I got more involved in music, I was like, oh, okay, this is like the actual thing I want to do. Um, and I like would shed it a hell of a lot more like in my 19, 20, 21. That's kind of when I like really would shedded my stuff and got to work on what I do now, which is like finger picky songwriting stuff. <laughs> you were just like, kind of rolled your eyes. And I'm like, yeah, you're really fucking good at it. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever go, did you ever do stand up? I did. Um, I did it like maybe five times. Um, at, I remember Columbia had like a student orientation and my bits were all original and like pretty solid, but it was like a direct 
like at the time, especially for people my age, I think we were all like gravitated towards like Mitch Hedberg. Um, A good one to gravitate towards. Yeah, he was great and funny. And I think young people saw a lot in him because he was like, had this like kind of beat Nick Stoner persona that was like kind of cool and rock and roll or whatever. You know, I wasn't like smart enough to like commentate on anything. So it was just like observational things. Um, I, I remember one of the bits was like trying to like, like doing like haikus, I guess. And like, I guess Dimitri Martin was big at the time too. Um, so just kind of like funny, awkward, like, it was like a character, you know, and dude, by all accounts, I crushed every time I did <laughs> I'm not lying when I say that. I'm not saying I was good, but I'm saying I know how like, or my jokes were good or anything. They were pretty bad um, and like rip offy, but I knew how to perform and I was like pretty fucking good the five times or six times I did it. I did like around like open mics and stuff. And I don't know why I just bailed on it, I guess, cause I got more into guitar or something. Um, would that have been a success? Probably not. I probably would have found music anyways, but that was like the direct passion. And I'm sure like a lot of hardship and like sadness and not doing well at it would have come too, which comes with any practice. Um, but that was like what I wanted to do. I wanted to like, wanted to like write for SNL or be a writer on like a funny show, like a Larry Sanders show kind of thing. That was like my, that was my dream. Um, I love like comedy and comedy writers and it's funny being in Chicago I found the people in my classes to be incredibly not funny like I was like none of these people are fucking funny and then I mean there's obviously allies in there and there are funny people and then like I I went to a show at Second City because I think they gave away tickets to students for free like come on out try out our classes maybe if you like it and again, there's talented people there who are funny and it's produced like legacy artists and performers, but I found it like so incredibly unfunny, like the improv, um, like, all right, we're going to need a, here's like Michael Jackson at the grocery store. <laughs> I'm like, uh, because I was such a big, and I think it's because I was such a big David Cross fan, like his stand-up comedy, like relentlessly made fun of those people. So I was like a snob, like right out of the gate, thinking I knew better than like these lowbrow, um, low-hanging fruit fucking improv students who are like, you know, just having fun and trying it and working on it. Um, so that's where I was. I was like um, holier than thou and a snob, and I probably would have been reviled and hated by anybody <laughs> in the industry had I gone forward with it. <laughs> It seems pretty common though, because I know a lot of guys who started in bands, who ended up in stand-up. Like Kyle Kinane is one who wanted was like a, I don't know, he's like pseudo rockabilly punk. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, and uh, and, a, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there's a bunch. But uh, it's just interesting because that seems to be a common. And I find I actually come from that world, so that's I don't know if you researched anything about me but that's the, i performed at second city and i did stand up I, I, like I was i'm not stand up i i was i'm not Especially. I, I haven't performed in five years i still write for some dudes but i don't or a dude sometimes cool. but uh i just that's fi- cool i find that i have found that socially musicians are funnier than comedians and i don't know i th- i th- i think that's because uh Musicians are being funny because they're just being themselves and dicking around where I think comedians often socially, it comes from a place of uh, neediness <laughs> and it's like, it's coming from a different sure. space, but I, I, f- I find musicians far more entertaining socially than uh, comedians. Right on. Um, I've, I've, I've <laughs> I think musicians, can be some of those airheaded stupid people on the planet <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean talk about like, ego shit it's like when when the pandemic drops they're like I need to perform it's like nobody needs you to fucking do anything man. <laughs> you know it's like um, but all my time in Chicago I guess because it's the comedy scene there might be smaller and more concentrated, like around the North side or something. I didn't hang out. I never had any comedian friends. I never really met any comedians and I know they exist in Chicago. I know there's a scene. I guess I knew one 
this girl, Sarah, and she's really talented and moved out to LA actually and is like kind of carving out some like really innovative, amazing stuff. Um, but I really never knew any comedians. And if like I went to a party and there was like, somebody's like, oh, I'm an improv person. I like, I found them profoundly annoying. <laughs> and like, cause it's just like, it's an extent. And that's coming from somebody who is like, I am annoying. Like I've been called annoying my whole life. And I guess it's like an extension of like this theater kid shit in Chicago. Whereas when I moved to New York, I met, like a group of comedians who were like really funny. And I got, I get that maybe you as like a, a comedian who gets paid for it. Like when I'm around those people, like I get kind of like shy and more introverted where I'm not normally that because they're so funny. And like, I want to make sure like all the things I say, or like all the bits I get in when we're like getting a cup of coffee, like are funny, you know? <laughs> See, yeah, I've never been uh, like a socially, like I have friends who will just do bits the day is long. And it's like, when I hang out with somebody, I'm like, this is the last fucking thing I want to do. (laughs) But it's also like going back to your point about like writers and stuff. And at Columbia, it's like being around like TV writers in LA. I mean, there's like the funny ones, like the Mr. Show guys, all those writers are genuinely funny fucking dudes. And a lot of them former Chicagoans. Uh, But like, um, like a lot of sitcom writers, oof, man, just, I, it's like a, to me, it's like a factory job because it's like plug in joke here. And it's like, I mean, if you watch most sitcoms, they're not really fucking doing much innovation comedically. It's still like stuck in vaudeville. Dude. I mean, that's such a cool industry. And I, you know, it's, I'm so involved in other stuff, but like for you to like, be like a, like, honestly, my dream job is still to be you. Like, you get to punch up people's jokes. You get to write jokes for people. You have stuff that's, like, been on TV. I don't know if I'd necessarily want to get on stage and do, like, a tight 10 or whatever. But, like, man, that's, like, been my dream job. It's, like, sitting in a writer's room. Maybe I'm glorifying it too much. It's probably, like, a little relentless and unforgiving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's funny. Like, I, I bought, there was, like, I remember going to Borders and buying, like, books on tv writing in high school there was some guy who wrote for dawson's creek who wrote this book on like it's called like how a kiss changed dawson's creek or something like all these like adventures in tv writing or whatever and he was so unfunny but he mentioned like and he seemed like a little like kind of dull to be honest but he he's like i made this much money in a year and i'm like damn dude all you gotta do is just like make three story arcs and there's a lot more to it but that's like a profession I've always been needed by. Yeah. Fuck, I forgot what my point was. I sorry I'm talking. No, no, I, no. You're supposed way, to be the one I talking. <laughs> I haven't told anybody this sort of stuff. Maybe like my immediate family and a few friends kind of know like my early directions of where I wanted to go. And like looking my dad in the eyes at the kitchen table, who's like he works in a factory and has forever being like, I'm going to write for Saturday night live and him being like, what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's kind of like totally baseless and like weird dreams and like trying to like give him the aroma of like, I'm an artist and like, this is what I will do. You know, like being like, I play fucked up music in a band was way easier to describe to him than like, yeah, I want to write like dick jokes for, for fucking like will and grace or whatever. <laughs> I was curious about that because that was also blue. For, like we're both working classes. Like how how big is your family? Are you like got a lot of siblings? No, I have one sister and mom and dad. Was it was it to be to say like hey I'm gonna do something creative? It was like for me it was like. I was sitting down and telling my mom, like, hey, I'm dying of cancer, but it was, I want to go to theater school. Like, it was, like, a big, scary thing. Right. Um, There maybe was some of that. It was more of, like, a misunderstanding. It was, like, you know, there was love and support and compassion, but there's just, like, a general, like, I don't understand what planet you're living on. And, you know, my parents like music and movies and stuff, but that stops at the box office highest grossing movies and classic rock radio. So anything outside of that world is complete, um, 
you know, you were speaking alien language to them. So to describe like these kind of like alternate routes in music, you know, like them coming to early shows of mine where there's three people and nobody's watching. Um, you know, it's like, well, this is what you got to do. You know, it's like to them, a concert is like, you know, Bruce Springsteen at Madison Square Garden. That's like, and that's like, maybe like when you describe to like your extended family, you're like, oh, I'm a stand-up comedian. And they do that thing and they're like, professionally? <laughs> you know, it's like, like you, you do that for a living. You know, it was like that conversation a lot. Yeah. It's just kind of they don't, there's like a misunderstanding and that's no fault of their own. It's just like, they don't give a shit. And why would they, they've got Brett Favre to yell at on the TV. <laughs> you know, that keeps their mind occupied. It keeps them docile enough to not <laughs> outside uh, blue collar jobs. That was the real and like constant nightmare of like, whether I was making money or not. Like once I got hired by second city, that eased the, that tension for a while. But then I stopped working at second city and was like, moved to california where i was just like i don't have a car it just got totaled and like i can you help like that kind of like where they started being like oh what are you doing and like and it's like i would be doing this no matter what money was making money is like a gift but it wasn't my i guess my idea going into it Yeah, right. So were you out in L.A. starting your comedy career? Like, what years would have that been? I moved to L.A. I moved to New York for a while, which was a huge mistake. And I actually, I used to hang around Saturday Night Live. That's when I realized I didn't want to work at Saturday Night Live because being in that environment, I was like, fuck, this is just... Oh, that's so cool, though. It was cool to be around it, but it was also... Uh, kind of made things it made me feel like i was a part of something that i wasn't because i was like oh look at this world i'm in but i was like wait a minute i'm not doing anything that's why i bailed on new york because i was just like oh i'm not i'm just like around i don't want to be the guy who's around so i split to la right after 9-11 shortly after 9-11 so like like a lot of creativity around like the late 90s early 2000s new york and then and going to L.A. from there, I don't know. I associate, like, L.A. then with, like, a young Paul Thomas Anderson, like, snorting coke and, like, making cool movies. And, I don't know. That seems like an exciting time to be out in L.A., like, when you're, like, young and hungry and, like, wanting to get on stage a lot and um, trying to hang out with, like, cool people and stuff and, like, not feeling like you fit in. That's been my experience in every city I've lived in. It was, gr- it was great. I lived in Echo Park, like, from two th- for eight years, from, the, er, like, 2001 to whatever. And, like, it was a mix of, like, my neighborhood was, like, a lot of, mu- like, Harmar Superstar was there. Like, it was all these musicians, and we'd all just end up in the same bars and probably cool. went to those too much and... Instead of focusing on <laughs> drinking until two, three yeah. in the morning. Yeah, I've lost years of my life. I mean, I don't regret the past, but like I've like and I'm no judge or jury or preacher or doctor or anybody's mom and dad. But like I wasted years of my life just shoving coke up my nose and like just blacking out till four AM, which is fun and has a communal aspect to it. And I met tons of my friends that way. I had a blast, but like I, I think about that all the time. It's one of those things when you sober up. It's like I could have achieved a lot more had I not been like having coke shits at Rainbow and Wicked Park <laughs> five nights a week and like babbling to people about the genius of fucking Genesis or whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I read you moved. Part of the reason you left Chicago was because of the because of the partying, but then you went to New York, and I was like that's not much different. Like I drank more in New York than I think I did Chicago. Yeah. Well, you can drink harder and longer at bars in, in New York. I, the reason I liked New York at first when I was like in my early twenties and visiting New York for tours was the bars are up until four. And I'm pretty sure that's the reason I moved to New York. If I think about it, it's like, yeah, maybe there was like a cool music scene, an opportunity, but it's like I have a board, the bars are open so four, so I have like two more hours to like do my favorite thing, which is like piss my pants at a bar and be annoying and coked up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the reason I always thought LA sucked is because the bars close early, and then you gotta like find some house party to go to, or somebody's like, my dad is 
Piers Brosnan. <laughs> like, it's always funny you like end up with people like that. No, it happens. And I'm sure there's like, you know, a million comments and done jokes about this, but like it's, it's happened to me. Like every time I went to LA in like an after party, like you're doing Coke with somebody, and then somebody goes to the bathroom and they're like, Yeah, that's Pierce Brosnan's son, right? And you're like, <laughs> What? Heavens, <laughs> it's so funny. And because we come from Illinois and in Chicago, like everybody in Chicago fucking hates celebrities. It's because it's A, they're not there. There's not like a major Hollywood industry there. Obviously, there's like pockets of music and movie industry there, but nothing major where like big money and calls are made. Um, but, and everybody who has success in Chicago catapults to LA or New York. So that's why there's like this big resentment from the coast. And Chicago has that stupid chip on its shoulder. But I never grew up knowing celebrities. None of my friends' parents were celebrities. Nobody knew celebrities. I mean, the guy on the commercials who like had the auto parts store was like, <laughs> you know, like, so like, like you see like, a grocery shop, like, yeah, like he's like, hey, you're the one eight hundred auto guy, aren't you? You know, and like that's the biggest of God. He'd like take a picture with you at the state fair. You know, that was like celebrity to me. Yeah, I waited uh, when I was a waiter in Chicago. I waited on the Empire Carpet guy. That was kind of, and he was a dick. I was, Dude, uh, nice. Dude, that's like, yeah, that's demigod status. <laughs> that's the best to guess. It's not like, oh, I, I, I fucking saw Robert De Niro getting his, um, you know, croissant. You know, <laughs> like the, it's so funny. Like when you move to New York, and you meet people who grew up there. Like, yeah, I went to school with Uma Thurman's kids, you know, like things like that. Like that was such a foreign concept to me. This is the same thing we're talking about where it's like this person's family has $10 million. And like, that's such a common concept in like, you know, New York and whatnot. Um, that's I don't what, know where I'm going with this, but um, that's Chicago. What, oh yeah. That was what was hard about New York is I would be walking down the street just broke as fuck. Like maybe I could scrape together money for a hot dog and then, but just like, Everybody on the sidewalk cafe is just eating, you know, fucking $100 meals. And I'm like, it's just in your face there. Like, you could be broke in L.A. and not see it. And you'd just be like, oh, I'll just go hang out in a park in the sunshine. But in L.A., it was, or in New York, it was just constant reminder of how fucking poor I was. Yeah, because I was pretty, I mean, I'm fortunate I had a place to sleep every night. And I never went hungry in Chicago, but I was like pretty broke. And being broke there, you know, I was like, you know, 20s funky white boy broke, which, you know, like, I have to, like, live meagerly and I can't afford food and whatnot. But I was fine. You know, it's all relative. Um, but being broke in Chicago is way more chill. And I don't want to, like, make blanket statements like it's it's fucking hard and I don't wish poverty on anybody and it's a hard place to get yourself out of. But being broke in New York is, like, fucking 10 times worse it sucks so much more be broke in new york and i was broke in new york too <laughs> when when did you leave when and why did you leave new york chicago or well chicago well you and new york right well i lived in chicago forever to at that you know at that point of my adult, my whole adult life um and it's the same thing like when i first moved to chicago it's like this sweet delicate loving place but then it's like that thing, and this is a me problem. Um, you know, I grew to resent it. I didn't like how long I had been there. It felt a bit dead endy. Um, I definitely had drug problems. Um, I hadn't like, you know, it wasn't a thing where like I ran away because I burned bridges or anything. I still had plenty of friends and plenty of love there. But it, dude, Chicago, like being there a long time, it really wears on somebody's soul. And that can be said for anywhere. But Chicago is like a really special way of just like March, bitch, still 30 degrees, you know? You're like, why? And it's funny because the whole time I'm living in Chicago, all me and my friends, like a big point of conversation is like, fuck Chicago. We hate Chicago. We live here. I fucking hate it. But as soon as you move away and you say that, like people will be like, Oh fuck. You said fuck Chicago. And you're it's like, this is all we talked about for 10 years about how we hated our lives here and how ugly it is in the winter. You know, it's, it's a fascinating city. It's very creative and wonderful. I'm grateful for my time there, but I'm so, I'm glad I'm not living there anymore. Um, did you- I, I was there, there a long time. And you did, uh, did you do a lot of free jazz in Chicago as well? 
Yeah, I did, but I wouldn't want to say I was like a linchpin or like a innovator in that scene at all. Um, I'm I, my thing is like indie rock songs, but um, I do I did like imp- improvised stuff too, because. You know, I think about people like Thurston Moore and Sonic Youth, like he makes Sonic Youth records, but then he makes like fucked up noise records. So that's kind of the world I came from um, that I enjoy a lot. Uh, and that's a practice I always try to get better at, but I, I'd hate to position myself as somebody who like is a master or knows a lot about improvising. I just have like, I think I have pretty good intuition and can kind of fake it till I make it. Um, but that was a, that's a big part of Chicago underground music and culturally too, you know, improvised music, improvised sketches, whatever comedy. Um, I wonder. So yeah, that, that I never made that connection before because it is both. It's both. And I used to go see a lot of improvised music. I used to go see Vandermark regularly. Yeah, like like he's he's like a master of that scene and a big part of it. And I'm friendly with him, and I'm I love seeing him. But you know, I, I wouldn't want to put myself on the same pedestal he is. Yeah. What what made you split for Massachusetts? Are you still in Massachusetts? Yeah, I'm in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts right now. And I moved to New York at the end of 2018. Um, New York was always the next place I wanted to go. I love New York. I always have. I still do very much. I never, I never felt like a West Coast person. I like visiting LA. I don't think at this point in my life I'd live there. So I went to New York. Um... It was awesome. It was like partying a lot, having a lot of fun. I got clean. I had about a year of sobriety. My life is going great. I love New York. And then, you know, like it's this COVID shit. And it's, I started to ask like why I can't afford to live here. You know, like I can get really good low main, but is that worth like $1,100 a month in rent? So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like I take stock of my life, where I'm at, what I want to do. And so I, I just kind of moved out here to Springfield, which is kind of a bummer town. There's nothing going on here. I don't know anybody, but it's really cheap. So I'm saving money living up here. And my girlfriend and I um, just we put a down payment on a house up in Vermont. So that was like the longer plan. It's like. I'll go to Western Mass and save money. You keep working in New York. She's floating back and forth between New York and here. God bless her heart. I love her to death. And we saved up enough money, which wouldn't have been possible for me if I was still living in New York. Because I have bad spending habits too, even though I'm like sober and clean, thank God. But, you know, like food there is expensive. Everything there is expensive because it's cool. Um and I really think I would live in New York forever if I could, but it's just, I, I can't afford it. So we're going to, I'm a homeowner in Vermont. I'm going to be a country boy. I've been a city boy my whole life, but I'm really fascinated by it. And it's again, one of those things where I've taken stock in my life. It's like, I don't go to bars anymore. I'm a pretty in sobriety. I found that I'm a really introverted insular person in that I love being at home. My whole thing was like, I love going out to bars. You know, I was, I was never like a solo drinker at home, which I'm sure I did plenty of. My thing is bars, man. I fucking love bars, dive bars. It's Americana and it's $2 for a PBR, you know, all that shit. Yeah. But I don't, need that. I don't have that. Um, I just like solace and quiet. I'm really proud of kind of the new heights I've reached with like the ability to be still. And so I think Vermont is a, a big move but and a bold move, but one I'm really happy about. Vermont has been a place that attracts me. Because L.A., I don't, we moved outside of L.A., and it's just, I mean, we have a nice little townhome that we rent, but it's like I'm fucking paying so much money. And I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like, why? It like, it's great to be in California, but I, yeah. I'll, I'll never be able to buy a fucking place here. Maybe we'll be neighbors. I love that, man. We can start a bowling league or something. <laughs> I love bowling. And I quit drinking yeah, I as well. Yeah, I at it, so we're going to... I didn't say I was oh, good at it. Yeah, I quit, yeah. <laughs> about a, I quit drinking about 100 days ago, and I haven't been... Wow, there. congrats. Thanks. It was just my wife was like, hey... It was like one of those nudges of like, what about your health? And I had a friend literally drink himself to death at the top of the year, so I was like, yeah. And then I also 
Yeah. And I'm revealing a lot, which I never do on this. I usually, but I, I think I have some, uh, maybe on the spectrum or something. And I think that goes hand in hand a little bit, mm-hmm. autism and drinking. So all that shit's been, I've been unpacking the last couple of weeks. <laughs> it's just like, Hey, I, think uh, I have mental problems too. Like it's all coming clear. Just took me decades to figure these things out. Yeah. I, I can relate up and down. I think I have the same feelings. I mean, there's plenty of things I can point to in my brain and in my personal life that like led me to drink. But like, ultimately I chose that shit. And it's like, I eventually had to choose to fucking stop. It was a problem, you know, like, um, my, my health was bad. Yeah. I, like, I was, again, like I was like a Coke and booze guy, like that combo. I like, I couldn't, it's one of those things that like, I couldn't get enough of it. Even though I've been in situations where on paper there is enough, you know, it's like, <laughs> I've been at like, uh, an open bar at a friend's wedding where I can drink top shelf liquor and beer to my heart's content all night. And I have like a half ounce of cocaine and I go through it all. And I'm like, there has to be more. It's like, that was enough, man. Like that's enough. And I wanted more always. It's not going to stop without some sort of like, you know, line in the sand, hard life decision. And it's tough. And my hat's off to you for getting a hundred days. That's really hard. And yeah, you know, things like being on the, I, I've been like diagnosed with all these sort of mental problems too. And, and drinking clearly does not, help any of that and you know again i'm no judge or jury if people can drink and they can handle it like that's amazing i'm not one of those people who can use these things safely i that's what it comes down to like i can't use them safely my mental health deteriorates my physical health deteriorates um people are collateral damage life sucks all that you know it's it's a it's a problem so i i i I do all these things and take all these steps to not drink do you think your music has changed or your approach? Because I would say this recent album is, I mean, it's a total leap from what you've been doing. Not, well, maybe not, but, but you know what I mean? Like it's a drastic different direction. And uh, right. do you think that happens because you're sober? I think it helped. It certainly helped. It didn't help that I was like fucking laying in my vomit. <laughs> 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 That's not like on the list of things that like helps a recording session. Um, but yeah, I mean, having like, not so like my side of the street is a bit cleaner as far as like mental anguish in my personal life. You know, there's like all these things I've done to kind of be in a better place. And when I'm in a better place, I make better things. But the lie I told myself forever is a, that it's impossible to live without drugs and alcohol and b that my art and creativity requires it, which is, total bullshit and some people can make it work again i'm just not one of them um i suffer because of it um and it sucks it's like it's fucking torture to get out of this cycle of like you know you're hung over one day you're like that's it i'm done and that night you're like ah, i'll forgive myself that was just one rough night it just it keeps snowballing to the point where i need a bump of coke to get out of bed and i need a drink to get out of bed i'm shaking i'm, I'm sick if i don't have it so all that, all that line I do to myself and to the world at large, just it's just like darkness and pain. And that doesn't, maybe some people can translate that into like killer records. I can't. So yeah, I think it's, if it's not a complete stylistic change, it's just better and more thought out, in my opinion. Um, what anybody hears in it is up to them. But for me, it's just, it's better music and better thought out. And I, I wouldn't trade anything to go back to like how I felt before. I've got way too much to lose at this point, including like enjoying playing music. I didn't fucking enjoy playing music for the last couple of years. Um, music was a thing that afforded me Coke. You know, it's like, I do this so I can afford Coke. It's not, I do this because I love it. It's not that I do this to honor all the people who've given me these opportunities and to live up to like their expectations of me doing well. You know, it, it was a totally selfish thing. So I make better records now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I read a lot about, do you, would you call it a prog, prog rock record? This um, That's kind of a bit, but kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think anybody, maybe like some 65-year-old in Canterbury, England, whose wall is full of like gentle giant records about, you know, dragonflies and toads and finding a magical mushroom in a castle 
up north in the hills or whatever would be like, this ain't fucking frog, man. Because you know? <laughs> I, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that specifically because I've heard you say similar things and like what the difference between American Prague and British Prague is. And I was like wondering if that was a conscious choice you were going to, were trying to change. Cause you're like American Prague is like Coke on a mirror. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be fair. Or maybe like, um, British Prague is like sexless and like not <laughs> sex at all. It's like pretty ugly and like really like gross kind of like the people making it are ugly. Um, the songs are ugly. Like nothing is sexy about it. You know, you're not like, sorry, you're not like, um, you know, but Americans like try to take that concept and like Ronald Reagan, the fuck it up. You know, (laughs) it's like they put cocaine and like big fake tits and like money into it, you know, and it's still cool, but you know, who are some of the, I don't Oh, I just, I can't think of any American, like, I, like, immediately, I think prog rock, I think, well, Rush, which they're Canadian, but, like, Rush, yes, that's always where my brain goes to, ELP. Yeah, I mean, those are, like... Who are the Americans? It was more of, like, a British export than anything, and they kind of perfected it way more. Um, I guess you could say, like, Frank Zappa was kind of... The poster child for American Prague, but I think he kind of is in his own world and was such an innovator and created his own thing. I don't know. He would probably, if he was alive, say be like, "I am not Prague." But you know, like when you think about Prague in America, like we had like Radio Prague, like Kansas or, or oh, fucking yeah. Oh god, I hate Kansas. You know? Do you hate yeah, Kansas? Kansas. <laughs> um, so that might have been at the time marketed in that way. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of, like, uh, if you want to go deep, there's, like, you can see, like, Miles Davis was prog or Velvet Underground. But if we're talking about, like, the corny time signature change uh, drawing from, like, English folklore, that's, like, pretty much a purely British export thing. And, you know, German bands kind of had their own scene, too, for prog bands. Americans in the 80s were, like, doing more killer shit with, like, you know, new wave or big stadium rock. You know, we, we did, we, uh, we stayed in our lane for the most part. Is, is there like a resurgence of Prague rock at all? I mean, there was, I remember like about 10 years ago, there was like, they were calling something math rock. And I was like, that's kind of proggy, but not, I don't know. Do you have any, do you feel like any of that's coming back? Well, math rock came out of like indie rock and stuff. I, I, I mean, I'm sure they hate the term, but like bands like Slint and Don Caballero, like we're all like the people who like started math rock, which is just basically a like post hardcore music with like weird time signatures and finger. T- I don't know. Um, but maybe that has may, the nicest thing you could say about it is that it has roots in Prague. Um, my paychecks and my guarantees on my show say no Prague rock is not coming back. <laughs> I think kids still like, I think kids still like sexy music and they like to, shake their asses and stuff um, and have like cool courses and not um, seven minute sprawling verses about smoking crack. (laughs) But I mean, I would like to, I'm a fan of that stuff. Um, I'll unabashedly go to bat for the corniest of prog bands. Um, But culture at large is, (laughs) they've definitely buried that six feet under do you think you'll return to that uh with your next album or do you do you you, are you even planning that like or like like oh i'm next time i'm gonna do jazz fusion Prague. i don't know how's it like how hell yeah honestly yeah that sounds sick (laughs) um i I don't have the chops for that sort of thing that's my favorite some of my favorite music though but i i think anything going forward is just i i hope it's like better quality, better guitar playing. Um, I've become a better guitar player in the last few years. And I'm really excited to like, let that shine a bit. Um, because for years and years I did like more folk based things and that, that all kind of has these cyclical droning patterns. Um, by that, I mean, it's like in one key and it's pretty floaty and psychedelic, which is great music, but it's really easy to just like repeat that over and over. And I think, with this new record, 
it was like a, I directly was against that. I didn't want to make like cyclical droning psychedelic things. Again, I kind of wanted to make uh, the production is a lot more like clear and upfront. It's not like drowned in reverb or like crazy effects. Everything you hear is like in the front of the mix and clean. There's like guitar solos, there's choruses, there's time changes. So it was definitely a, a reaction against everything I used to do. And I hope to just continue that pattern with everything. All right. Well, I know you have something to do, so uh, I just want to thank you for your time. Cool. Yeah. Um, thanks for your time. I uh, hope to see you out in California sometime. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay in touch. And uh, if that doesn't book you, <laughs> I'll just email you all the time, like every day. Just, uh... Anytime. I'm here. <laughs> thanks, man. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.